Welcome to Lucid. It's a podcast in which two dreamers tell you about dreams and listen to yours so your friends don't have to. I am one of those people who will be listening to and interpreting your dreams. And I'm joined across the internet by Tori Folk. How you doing, Tori? I'm great, Micah. How are you? I am excellent. I'm so excited to get this podcast rolling. We've been talking about it for a while now. We have. I'm really excited too, because what we're going to do is talk about sleep science to the best of our ability and all of the really interesting things that go into sleeping and dreaming. And even more fun, we're going to talk about our dreams and interpret <laughs> listener dreams, which should be a really good time. I'm so pumped for that. Like, uh, the first of all, as we've started to get this show off the, you know, off the ground and we're doing this research, I've already learned a crap ton more stuff about sleep science and, and dreams that I didn't already know. And we have so many more topics to cover there. But uh, I'm not going to lie. I am very excited about the second half of our show where we are uh, asking listeners to send in their dreams and uh, giving us an opportunity to interpret them. Me too, definitely. You know, Tori, we had talked about just doing some sort of show in general, and you were sort of pitching ideas and you came up with this idea of doing a podcast about dreams. And I thought it was so great because there's like this whole comedy bit about how people don't want to hear your dreams and like, no, 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 you don't need to tell me about your dreams. I don't care about them. <laughs> I care about people's dreams. They're fun. I do too. They're great, you know, and it's funny because people be like, oh, I just had the weirdest dream. And I feel like you and I are the only people that I know <laughs> that are like, oh my God, please Ooh, tell, tell me us more. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And so please do tell us more. Please do send in your dreams and we will, uh, we'll get that going. But uh, our first sort of half of the show is going to be devoted to not just sort of um, sleeping and how we get into the stages of sleep and not just sort of the science behind dreaming, but sort of everything involving this still sort of unknown and in some ways, like mystical, if I can use that word, uh, section of, of science that involves sleeping and dreaming and the way that like culture lines up with that kind of thing and dream interpretation. And I mean, there's, there's so much to talk about here once you start thinking about it. Definitely. And I mean, even the science parts that maybe people wouldn't consider so mystical are actually pretty mystical because as we both know and appreciate, the brain is beautiful as it's as beautiful as it is difficult. So there is still a lot of mystery whenever it comes to sleep science. For sure. Uh, so we're going to start by demystifying some of that mystery with, uh, <laughs> with things that we do know. Uh, today we'll be talking about the stages of sleep and sort of how we progress through those, uh, before we move on to dream interpretation. So I'm going to kick things off to talk about the, the first stage. But before we get there, there's something important to know. Your average person is going to divide their time between REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep. That's the sleep that we mostly know as the stages, the stage of sleep in which you're dreaming. Um, and it turns out there's a little bit more than that. Uh, but that is going to be 25% of your night. The rest of your sleep is going to be spent in something called in REM or non-rapid eye movement sleep. And those are basically the, the base stages of sleep. So three quarters of your night, 
aren't even spent in REM sleep. Right. So I'll kick things off by talking about N1 or the first stage of sleep. And you can kind of think of, of stage one of sleep as the nodding off stage of sleep. Uh, it is a transitional phase. So you're going sort of from a, a wakefulness, so an awake state into a period in which you start to drift off to dreamland. <laughs> so you can kind of, um, think of this again as like, what's interesting is, is if you take a person, you put them in a chair, you get them relaxed, you get them sort of meditating or, or as close to that as possible. You get them very peaceful. Uh, the, their brainwave patterns are very similar to stage one of sleep. Um, it's, it's a, again, it's a very relaxed state that has a lot of alpha waves in the brain. These are low frequency waves that have high amplitude patterns. Um, and it's sort of, again, like it's your brain starting to get into this state. And, uh, the, as the stage goes, we start to see more of the theta waves. Now those are even lower frequency and, uh, higher amplitude. So again, we're, we're sort of going from this, like, as we're awake, these these uh, these waves are moving along, bobbing and, and bobbing and weaving through our brain, <laughs> and then things start to slow down and sort of spread out a little bit. But uh, stage one, interestingly, um, it's the stage where we sort of have those those falling dreams, those horrible falling dreams. Yes, terrifying <laughs> falling into the void feeling. Yes. Now. The last thing that I want to touch on in stage one is that people who sort of are, you know, awakened from this stage will sometimes or many times actually sort of insist that they had never fallen asleep in the first place. It is not enough of a, a, uh, it's not deep enough a stage of sleep to actually provide those effects of like restoration and, and repair and, true sleep. So you wake somebody up out of stage one sleep, they just fell out of their awakened state, it's easy to sort of get them back. Right, because they're still aware of what's going on around them. They can still hear things and they still they're not processing it so well, but they still feel like they're mostly awake. So they'll be like, "What? I wasn't sleeping." <laughs> Who's sleeping? Not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us about stage 2? I would love to. Okay, so this is where the real good shit begins, right? <laughs> um, your brain has sort of beaten your pesky muscles. You're not experiencing any more of those hypnic jerks, which we talked about as sort of like the falling feeling. Um, and you're definitely asleep now. Uh, your brainwaves here tend to still hover around that theta range that started in stage one. Uh And I thought that this was a very sweet little name. They're sometimes referred to as sawtooth waves, which is really (laughs) pleasant. Um, But your brain waves don't stay static this whole time either. Um, You may actually get short little spikes of brain activity that uh, sometimes people refer to as sigma waves, but sometimes people refer to them as sleep spindles, which is maybe one of my favorite nicknames for anything. It sort of reminds me of like – spinning the wool from the sheep that you'd been counting to fall asleep into like beautiful dream yarn. I love that. I love that. That's a a really good image. (laughs) I'm gonna have to make a sleep sweater. I know. Oh God, please. I want to be wrapped in a sleep sweater right now. Um, And then you might also experience something called cake complexes, which aren't necessarily exclusive to this stage of sleep. They happen sort of throughout the deep sleep stages, but um, you basically your brain waves shoot up 
and then back down, and then back up again and level out back to those theta waves. Um, and that helps to keep you asleep and consolidate all of the sensory things you may be experiencing and processing it without really waking up and reacting to it like you might back in stage one. Because you can still hear things, um, but you can't really compute it at this point. Uh, and also you start feeling body changes, your body temp drops, your heart rate starts to slow even more than stage one. Um, and so basically this is really like letting you slide in to a beautiful, beautiful slumber, uh, <laughs> before moving on to the actual, what is actually the deepest stage of sleep, which is stage three. So could you tell us a little bit about that, Micah? Oh, yes, Miss Tori. Uh, <laughs> stage three of sleep, yeah, as, as Tori noted, it is the deepest stage of sleep. It's uh, also called slow wave sleep. Uh, and that's because you've got low frequency, high amplitude delta waves. So you are really getting into sort of this like house music stage where you've got this like, whoa. Womp, womp, sleep. Sleep groove. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in the sleep groove, uh, which is a dance I love to do as much as possible. <laughs> uh, um, this, this is like, it's almost as if your brain itself is is sort of lulling you to sleep. And if you can think about, uh, we talk about how there are therapies involved for um, for children who have trouble falling asleep and also puppies who have trouble falling asleep where you oh, put them God. near a clock and it's supposed to remind them of mama's heartbeat. Like I think oh, of this yeah. as our brain's heartbeat almost, if that makes sense. Like this is the thing that soothes us and keeps us no, in this yeah, I gotcha. very deep level of sleep. Now, this is cool because your body is essentially in the third stage of sleep is like powering down as much as possible. This stage of sleep involves powering down and then like regulation of all of the important stuff that's happening. So you're going to get uh, your heart rate dropping, your blood pressure dropping, your breathing goes down. It's all very level, very uh, sort of it goes into autopilot, but it's like low level autopilot. This is this it's it's incredible to me just sort of how your body takes over for you and is like hey you don't need to think about anything you don't need to worry about it All we're right. just we're just co we're just coasting along it's cruise control for sleep um and this is the stage that i have taken to calling the popeye stage um <laughs> if you will humor me and that's because this is like when popeye eats his spinach this stage of sleep involves the rebuilding of muscles it involves the rebuilding of bone basically all the cells in your body but also uh chemicals in your brain and and also a boost to your immune system. So your body repairs its immune system. It's repairing itself. It's taking care of everything while you're sleeping. And so basically like really, really slow Wolverine. <laughs> yes, yes. You can either, you can either go with the spinach metaphor or the Wolverine metaphor. Either way. Uh, I you, love them both. <laughs> they're both very good. Uh, and this, this, one of the things that I wanted to touch on in, uh, in, in stage three of sleep, Tori, it's something that you brought up whenever we were researching this and it's sort of your theory on how this could be like the stasis stage right yeah sort of like um i don't know 
if anybody's read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I always think of the ship that had all of the quote unquote useless people from Earth <laughs> on it, all of the hairdressers and things like that, which by the way, I think hairdressers are very important. I just want to go ahead and lay that out right now. They're very important. So they were kept in stasis so that they could stay alive on the ship for years and years and years until it found another habitable planet, right? And so that's whatever that's what I think about whenever I think of the third stage of sleep is this sort of restorative stasis where your body is kind of just taking care of you. Mm-hmm. Well, and and like what's interesting too is uh, this stage of sleep is sort of tied to the life cycle. And it's one of those things that, that sort of feeds itself because – as a child, as a, as a, as a little baby or as a child, <laughs> all the way up, you know, to your, your teen years, not only is stage three the most important, but it also happens to be the stage that your body gets the most of. It gets a crap ton of stage three. But as you get older, you have less of stage three. And that's the stage. That's the Popeye stage, the Wolverine, the slow Wolverine stage. Like this is the stage where your body is repairing itself. And so as you get older, if your body stops being able to repair itself while you sleep, then it makes sense that we sort of start to break down over time. And, you know, it makes me wonder, like, could there potentially be therapies in the future that allow us to sort of force our bodies into stage three sleep to induce these repairs, these natural forms of repair? Uh, I just think there's like, there's so much more to explore here and, and so much that's tied to our sleep. Definitely. The immortality theory. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> We're already working on it. Let's go ahead and move on to the most exciting stage of sleep. That's going to be a REM sleep. Tori, can you, uh, could you go ahead and uh, tell us about that one? I would love to. Okay. So REM sleep is, this is it, right? This is the big, big dream city. Basically. <laughs> Welcome uh, to Big Dream City. This is where you're going to get the wild, vivid dreams that you'll hopefully want to write in and tell us about. Hint, hint. But um, <laughs> it is – it's very different from other stages of sleep, um, which is why it gets its own category. It's not just because of the name. It's because of your brain activity during this stage. Uh, it was initially discovered by uh, Professor Nathaniel Kleitman in 1953, which is way more recent than Hold you would on. think. Wait, so so this 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 dream, the big dream city wasn't discovered until 1953, <laughs> not until the no, 50s. Nathaniel Kleitman discovered it and placed his flag there uh, <laughs> that said, "This is where you, this is where you dream, guys." If you didn't already know, um, but what's cool about the stage is that your brain waves look like they do when you're awake. Um, even though your body is out, your mind is incredibly active during this time. Um. The difference is, is that it distributes the activity differently than it does whenever you're in wake, whenever you're waking. So the back of your brain is actually more active than your forebrain, hmm. which could actually, uh, explain the sort of lack of control we have over our dreams, um, and why they don't sort of follow a logical pattern because it's that frontal lobe that deals in logic mostly. Uh, and, also, as you probably guess, your eyes, they're moving a lot here. They named it after it. Rapid Sleep scientists eyes. are very creative. Interesting. <laughs> I thought it meant like rapid eye, like like me, and so like I move a lot while I'm in sleep. Actually, no. Okay. They have specific – your body puts specific protections in place so that you don't move. Uh, it's actually called REM atonia, and your muscles are like totally paralyzed 
in theory. Uh, <laughs> some people actually lack that paralysis that comes with REM sleep. Um, and it's unfortunate because then they will physically act out their dreams. It's called REM behavior disorder, uh, which sucks, obviously, because you need that paralysis to protect you from flailing about while you're unconscious. Um, and on the flip side, people who suffer from narcolepsy can actually have the opposite problem where they start to experience REM atonia in really inconvenient moments where they're waking and doing other things, um, which can be equally as dangerous. Bodily, breathing and heart rate are becoming irregular because mm -hmm. your brain waves are going wild once again, and actually your brain is exerting less control over those the, your breathing and your heart rate, which oh, sounds really joy. terrifying to me because I feel like I barely have control as it is. <laughs> Even your body temperature will go up and go down. I usually, whenever I wake up from a nightmare, I'm very physically warm, yeah. which again is <laughs> what the opposite of what you'd expect from sleep, which is why REM is so much different than the other stages. Um, and what I found very interesting was that people who are awakened during this stage are actually better creative problem solvers. So there are studies that have shown that someone who is awakened from REM sleep, whenever their brain waves are, you know, going up and down and getting back into the awake sector, um, they were better at solving problems and doing, for instance, like puzzles, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And I wonder if it's that it's like the, it upsets the balance between logic and creativity, so it may open your mind to possibilities that you may not have considered oh. in your waking state. Uh, th there are some people who suggest like having a, a glass of beer before you work on a creative problem is helpful, and it's all like all of these different sort of methods of of altering your awareness are based in sort of disconnecting the incredibly thinky parts of your brain from the more creative parts of your brain. So it's interesting, like that is essentially what this is doing as well. Those logical parts of your brain that are regulating everything and sort of uh, controlling your muscles and, and all that sort of get tossed aside for a moment. And you've got those more creative and uh, active areas of the brain. But I want to pitch a thought to you. Um, oh, go for it. So, 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 okay. So if, if one wakes up from a, a, like from their room stage and they are more creative, um, I think that we should start suggesting that people, like, okay, we're going to go to Instagram, right? And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go to Instagram. <laughs> we're going to type in the little search bar, hashtag escape room. And then we're going to find <laughs> everybody who has a sad look on their face. <laughs> <laughs> because they they weren't able to solve the escape room. And then we're going to proceed to leave like three paragraphs worth of a tutorial that's like, okay, listen, this is what you do. You book that escape room for two hours, right? The first hour, you take some pillows, you, you take a sleeping bag, you go in there, you tell them, turn off the lights. I got this place for two hours. I get to control what happens. You sleep for that first hour. You set an alarm on your phone. You wake up at the end of that hour and you just came out of rim sleep. You're going to get through that, that escape room no time at all. And we just okay. like, 
we're heroes. We, we become heroes for all these people who lose at escape rooms. Or somebody's going to wake up in the wrong stage and stumble <laughs> and smash their face on something. They're I don't know what happens three, in escape like, rooms. I imagine they're... <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know what happens in escape rooms. I imagine there's lots of levers. I don't know why. That's just what I, um, pull the lever, crunk. Yeah. Can we please not? I mean, okay. If you want to advise that, I'm going to go ahead and put all the legal implication on Mike. Do not, I'm not (laughs) suggesting, uh, that you do this just in case. I mean, if you want to do it as like a personal experiment that you'd like to then tell us about, I would really love that. But I didn't, I'm not telling, I'm not forcing you to do it. That's all on you. Um, and then one more thing about room sleep that I wanted to point out. Speaking of escape rooms and all sorts of other delightful, fun things, uh, this is where wet dreams can happen usually. Um, hmm. not only in humans, which, you know, we all know, but also in rats, which I found really fascinating. I didn't uh, know, uh, rats did that. You know, me neither. And I feel really weird about the scientists who decided to try and figure that one out. Wow. <laughs> oh, maybe. So, okay. No, this, this is what's great. This, this is what happened. The scientist was like, you know, it'd be really funny. He's talking to his other scientist friend. You know, it'd be oh, really funny, Lucy. And Lucy's like, what, James? I'm tired of all these funny things that you're always <laughs> trying to do. And he's like, okay, Lucy, but we have to do this. You know, Mortimer there. That's the rat's name, of course. We should oh, yeah, put, absolutely. We should put – and he's like laughing. We should put Mortimer's <laughs> paw in some warm water and make him pee himself while he's sleeping. And Lucy's like, I'm not going to – I'm not going to be a part – he's like he, – she's like you. Lucy's like you. She doesn't want to be a part of it. No – nor sort of legal obligations. <laughs> so he puts – you know, puts the paw into the water, the warm water, and the rat was actually in REM sleep and had a nocturnal emission, but he thought that the rat peed itself. And so it took like – 10 extra years worth of research to ever come across the fact that rats have nocturnal emissions because of whatever the the heck has said his name was. Okay. Well, first of all, I think that our uh, idea that we suggest to everyone is not the escape room idea, but sleepover pranks on rats. Um, there should be a Tumblr devoted to that. Yeah, I'd be, I mean, nothing cruel or anything, just, uh, the sweet things that you would do to your friends. I would be really interested in finding out the scientific implications of doing sleepover Some whipped cream on a pole, that kind of thing. Right, exactly. So we could also, if you wanted, call REM sleep the rat ejaculation stage. Oh, oh, it works. Oh, uh, help me. Mode. There you go. Rat ejaculation mode. There you there go. There you go. Perfect. That's, yeah. Got it. That, We've that's nailed your, it down. That's the mnemonic. That's like if you are having trouble remembering sort of what stage of sleep is the most wild, then now you know because you can remember that. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, I think we get our lab coats now, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. What what color are you going to have yours? Uh, I feel like purple is the best for dreams. Probably. Maybe that's just me. Uh, yeah, I think mine will be white with a fluffy pink trim. Uh, I want to talk about a few other things in the REM stage of sleep. You can uh, fill in the uh, acronym there however you like. <laughs> um, one of the things that is interesting to me, uh, this stage of sleep, the brain actually well, okay. They, again, sleep science, like most sciences, are basically <laughs> just people saying things and then other people shouting at those people for saying things. And then they're yeah. both saying like, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Yes. Um, but the sort of 
belief is that the brain fights to protect REM sleep. And the way that they've sort of determined that is, uh, I'm sure many of you have had a dream that involves this. You were asleep, you're in a dream, you're hearing like a car horn honking, or you're hearing like a Charlie Brown teacher going wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Turns out, uh, or like, uh, I don't know, you're out in the rain, and then you wake up and your cat is peeing on your head, or <laughs> the alarm is going off <laughs> next to your bed. And or basically, both at the or same both. Time. Yeah, maybe it's raining in your dream and there's a teacher, a Charlie Brown teacher next to you, want whying, uh, while a car horn is going off because not only is it your alarm, it's your partner's alarm too. Anyway, my point is the brain will uh, make external stimuli into internal stimuli, into dream-based stimuli. Oh, the wow. idea is that in other – like stage one and stage two, you hear external stimuli and you know like this is happening in real life. You are sort of roused out of that sleep. But all the way in REM sleep, your body is like, no, 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 no. We're not waking up yet. And so <laughs> it puts these things into your dreams, uh, which I think is incredible and one of the things like I can remember as a kid, I kept having these dreams where I would get wrapped up uh, like by a gigantic spider, like a Lord of the Rings style spider. Oh, and I couldn't breathe. Like it was very, very, very difficult for me to breathe. I was like suffocating because Whoa. the spider had wrapped me up. Well, I'd wake up from the dream and my head would be fucking buried in the pillow. So I was like suffocating in real life, but my brain decided it wanted to keep me in REM sleep. So it just went ahead and kept me there by making up a spider dream. Wow, that's a horrifying child dream. But also important to science. Wow, important to science. Important to science. <laughs> you know, it's up. the science with a little, uh, little it's symbol It's the fanciest of sciences. <laughs> um, but it's important because it does tell us that your body is protecting REM sleep, so it must be important, right? Yeah. And in fact, uh, we believe, we being the collective human, <laughs> uh, the, the collective human, the one human that we all are, <laughs> yes. we make up this giant transformer human. Um, anyway, we, the members of science, uh, believe <laughs> that, that REM sleep is homeostatically regulated. What that means is that our body, like, knows how much REM sleep it needs for whatever reason and will do what it needs to get there. There was a study where they took people, they connected them to uh, the, what is the EEG monitors and mm -hmm. they looked at their brain waves and basically they were checking uh, whenever they were about to fall into REM sleep, they would wake them up and they keep doing that. And then finally they let them sleep undisturbed. And when they did, they would spend way more time in REM sleep. And so wow. and there's a name for that. It's called Rim Rebound. Okay. That's amazing. That's better than anything we've personally come up with in this episode. <laughs> I know. Rim Rebound is so cool. It sounds like a superhero or something uh, that like puts you into sleep to help you. <laughs> that dunks no you right into sleep. <laughs> right, nothing but rim. Oh, my God. That was good, actually. Oh, I enjoyed thank you. it. You know, I'm I'm very sort of self-conscious about sports metaphors, so I really appreciate your support. No, there. you did a sports thing. It was good. <laughs> so Rim Rebound uh, sort of is, is the uh, evidence that we, we, again, the collective human, um, will 
regulate that that level of sleep. Let's go ahead and move on, Tori, to talk about the sleep cycle, sort of how our body goes through the stages of sleep, because this is something I did not know until we started doing this show. And I think it's something that maybe people uh, wouldn't know either. So how how do we move through sleep, through dream, through big dream city? This is so contrary to what I personally believed as well. So it, it completely blew my mind. Um, you start at stage one, go to stage two, then to stage three, which is that deep sleep, but then... And then to REM. Nope. You would what? think that. But <laughs> no, actually, you go back into stage two, back into stage one, and then into REM. But if you think about it, it actually makes a lot more sense because when you're in REM, your brain acts more like it's awake, right? Mm. So it would make sense that your brain is preparing to get back into that state. And then after REM sleep, you go back into stage one, back into stage two, stage three, stage two, stage one, and then REM again. And what's cool is that after REM sleep, after the individual returns to stage one, after the sleep cycles over again, um, and that keeps happening, you spend increasingly more time in REM and correspondingly less time in that deep sleep stage, which is stage three. And that makes sense because like people who, you know, only are able to well, and this is kind of a back and forth because if if you've got somebody who um typically gets a lot of sleep and then maybe one night they are only able to get like three or four hours, they wake up, they may not remember having dreams, and that's because yeah. they never got to REM sleep. Um because of rim rebound, it's a little like if you're a person who regularly doesn't get a lot of sleep, then you're going to get into rim regardless. Yeah. Um, but I think that's going to wrap things up for our first sort of uh, dip into sleep science. Um, we'll have, again, lots more to talk about in future episodes because there's just a lot to cover uh, all the time, all the places. But we wanted to sort of lay the base here so you, you understand sort of the sleep cycle um, like the water cycle and also – but not at all. <laughs> Uh, and then also the various stages of sleep and how they work. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to yes. dream interpretation. So again, fun a quick reminder that if you want to send in your dreams, you're going to send those to dreams at lucid.show. Uh, and those will get to us. You can record a voice memo on your iPhone or you know, voice memo on your Android device. I'm sure there's a voice memo app there. Uh, (laughs) As you can tell, we don't know. (laughs) We don't know. We've never touched, we've never touched one. We don't know. Um, Or you can send in some text, uh, however you want to, and we will interpret your dreams. Just a warning. This is a, this is as much an informative podcast as it is a comedy podcast. So hopefully, (laughs) yeah, we hope. Uh, So your dream interpretations are certainly not backed by a money back guarantee or anything like like that (laughs) (laughs) or a satisfaction guarantee no the only experience i have interpreting dreams is like sitting on the floor with a dream dictionary open when i'm like 10 years old trying to find the meaning of like okay spitting my own teeth out what was that about (laughs) so yeah that's about it that's about all i got bad taco (laughs) yeah yeah exactly uh, so, Tori, why don't you go ahead and tell me your dream? Okay. And uh, then I will pull out my giant uh, dream tome here. Oh, you have a tome. Flipping through the pages. Flip, 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 flip. This is fantastic fully work. All right. Thank you. And, okay, got it out. And I'm looking and I'm ready to go. Got my notepad. Good. You better be prepared because this one is – okay. <laughs> uh, so, 
I dreamed that I was riding in a car with this guy. And I actually, I have no idea who he was. Uh, he wasn't somebody that I knew from real life, which people say can't happen in dreams, but I'm a rule breaker, I guess. Um, and we were driving through my hometown of St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, and so we were passing a bunch of cemeteries and which – you know, fantastic, my favorite activity. And I actually asked him in the dream what his favorite cemetery was, <laughs> which is a real power move conversationally. If you want to go ahead and like whip that one out right away next time you first meet somebody. Um, and he said Mount Olivet, which is actually a very lovely cemetery in St. Joe, in case anybody wants to go troll in St. Joe's cemeteries. Um, and anyway, as he said it, it sort of rose up beside us, kind of like a mirage. And then we went further and further along. There were more cemeteries, and they got more and more, like, horror movie. Like, really, really decrepit, falling apart. The gates were rusted and everything. And finally, we started passing this weird, super overgrown – it was almost like a park. It could have been a cemetery, but there was just so much, like – foliage and stuff that you couldn't make out anything except for tons of handmade dolls and like Ugh. weird uh like poppets and shit made of like burlap and corn husks stuffed with you know what god knows what um and <laughs> with your some spit were out big. teeth obviously yeah exactly that's probably where they're all going um some were big some were tiny uh some were set up in creepy like middle like in media res, like, dioramas uh, in front of backgrounds. And there was even an animatronic one. It was, like, terrifying uh, doll theater. And I said to the guy <laughs> – now, just to preempt this, I had been struggling a lot with uh, artistic inspiration. So I turned over and I said to the guy, look, this is what I need to be taking photographs of. I love this shit. <laughs> like a director. And, yeah. <laughs> this is the pretty <laughs> stuff. This is like, what I've been looking for. This is what for. I've been looking for. <laughs> Um, and he looked at me like, okay. And he said, oh, yeah. And I was like, abandoned doll altars in a field in St. Joseph, Missouri. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, so then he just went silent and turned and started driving right through this field with all the dolls toward this gigantic. Hold on, hold on. So are you still in the car at this point? Yes, I'm okay. still in the car. Towards this gigantic gnarled tree. And I was like, uh, okay, what are you doing? Like, I know I freaked you out, but we, we don't have to kill us. <laughs> like, and, uh, he just wordlessly hands me this itty bitty hatchet. And then we start driving up the fucking tree. So <laughs> once we were like, <laughs> so you get to the tree and then suddenly you're like perpendicular, <laughs> like, or parallel to yeah. the tree trunk and just driving yeah, up, driving it? up it anti gravity style. Um, and so once we were pretty, like, devastatingly high up, the car disappeared underneath us. And I obeyed the laws of physics and <laughs> clung to this tree because I was going to fall. And I was fucking terrified. I, like, dug the hatchet into it to hold myself Your up. Your tiny hatchet? <laughs> yeah. And it worked. So, okay, maybe not obeying the laws of physics, like I said earlier. <laughs> that was wrong. Um, and so this asshole, but he's still floating up. Like, not a care in the world, just seated in the same position that he no. was when he was driving hands at he's 10 and 2. driving a Wonder Woman car? It's basically like he's in the invisible boat mobile and just <laughs> fucking just up into the night sky. And then he 
he disappeared into the darkness. Well, and that you're was clinging it. to your dream tree from your tiny hatchet. Yeah, exactly. Leaving me fucking hanging. Okay. Literally. Okay. <laughs> uh, hanging from a tree. That is grim. All right. I need to know one thing. Uh, do you remember what kind of tree it was? No, I just know that it was big and gnarled with very little leaves left. Okay, so it's almost like a dead tree. Yes. I guess I guess that makes sense sort of in a cemetery. So uh, one of the things that I, I want to break down is some of the symbology of your dreams, right? Okay, cool. Let's we've got it. these we've got these dolls. Uh, now dolls, of course, are symbolism for 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 your childhood, for this period of time <laughs> when there were less concerns and less worries. But here's the thing about those dolls. You got dolls that have burlap and corn husks, right? Now burlap <laughs> yes. Burlap is a symbol of 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 sort of being uh tough and and like uh gritty and and capable of taking on the world and not afraid of letting people know what you're thinking. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, Okay, I gotcha. Was it, it pulling yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing? Okay, yeah, it's the working man's fabric. It is the burlap, <laughs> the working man's fabric. Also Tori's dream doll fabric. Yeah. Um but here's the interesting thing. Like you're sort of – you've got this like this sim- symbolism of, of death, this cemetery. This is where uh, childhood goes to die. This is where oh, – Jesus. <laughs> okay. This is getting super grim. It's, it's very grim. It's very grim because also your, your, your tough persona and your sort of carefree attitude that's tied to these – to maybe your childhood, like when there were less things to worry about. It's right. all in this area uh, that you're, you're sort of – you're sort of going through. But this is the most fascinating thing, Tori. You're in a car, right? But you're not driving that car. And I realize that's not something that, that happens in, <laughs> no. in real life uh, no, for you. Not. But to to symbolize being a passenger means that you're not in control of things, right? So okay. you're being driven through life by a stranger. You are, you know, seeing sort of the the wastes, the spoils of, of life and things that you've having to give up. But then you start going into this tree, right? And this person, this 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 lack of control over your life disappears off into the ether. Oh, okay. And you're left climbing this tree, which it, climbing a tree is a symbol of of achievement. It's a, a symbol of of sort of of again getting back to this stage of of being able to be in power and be able to sort of get to the next thing. And so I think that, you know, had the dream kept going, you probably would have climbed to the top of the tree, put on your own working man's fabric, and reclaimed <laughs> your tough persona is, is what I'm thinking. Uh, this is You this, are the only person that could make the idea of just putting – like donning a whole outfit of burlap seems super attractive to me. Bur- burlap, like high heels. You got a burlap uh, a burlap tie. Oh, man. That is like oh, – yeah. that's double tie. Tough. That's what it's that a hot is. Combo. This is sort of a it's a it's a it's a prophecy almost. Oh my god! You're it's right. th- this <laughs> tiny. You have to find your tiny hatchet, Tori. <laughs> oh my god! It's the only way that you're going to break yourself free from the the this this unknown person that is this unknown person that represents sort of an entity in your life where it's dragging you along making you feel like you don't have control over your own life and you know you don't have to kill him it this <laughs> oh, thing good. okay i was kind of plotting but okay no good oh no, well you know this thing is going to keep on 
disobeying the laws of physics and, and probably go fuck somebody else up. But you, <laughs> once you have your tiny hatchet in that tree, in your oak tree, uh, above your dead uh, doll cemetery, you're fine. You you know you've you've you're, you're that's my you're happy place. <laughs> your happy place is a, is a tree inside of a dead doll. But that sounds like you, honestly. It does, yeah. Uh, I like but that. The, and the last thing I want to touch on is um, the hatchet. The fact that it's a tiny hatchet. I think this is your this. Sorry, let me try to be uh, straight laced about this. This is very serious. Okay. With this hatchet, this tiny hatchet, it's just your your subconscious telling you that. It's doesn't. It's not going to take a lot to take control. It's not going to take a lot to to regain this power. It's just a tiny little hatchet. Oh my god. Okay. Wow. You know, I had brought this. I'm. I was like, okay, I'm going to bring this dream to the table, and I did not think you were going to be able to spin it, but you did. Oh, oh my god. You spent. killed that. That was incredible. <laughs> and now I feel. I feel so inspired. Like I'm like. God, my Everybody out there, That's find it. your tiny hatchet. Please find your tiny hatchet. If you feel like your life is out of control, just try your best to find that tiny hatchet and just drive it into that tree hanging above a doll cemetery and really take take the situation back. Claim your burlap. <laughs> Claim your burlap. I'm going to hop off of here and make a burlap suit. Yes. And I'm going to I'm going to bathe with burlap. And be the toughest person. Mm, I don't no, know that I'd be no, naked that right one. against it. No, but you do. No, you. no burlap nudity. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and uh, move on. Yeah. Please tell me your dream. I'm so excited. So I got a short dream. Okay. Um, this is this is a fascinating dream. Before we get into it, like the one thing I want to preface with, uh, my grandma is a pretty fairly religious person, and she's sort of old school religious in the sense that um, there are. You know, I, I feel like old school religious people, sort of not like faithful people or sort of spiritual people, but religious people um, are very uh, good at setting rules for themselves and yes. sticking to those rules. And so okay. for my grandma, drunkness, like getting dr – she – you know, you can, you can have a glass of alcohol, but to actually uh, be drunk is a sin, um, oh, okay. you know, in, in her beliefs. And so I – um, had a dream that my grandma, uh, well, we, let me get things started. We were all at, uh, my, like the table that my mom has in her house, like the table that I grew up, that my childhood table, my childhood dining room table, uh, <laughs> we're all sitting around this table and, uh, there's a board game being played. And, um, so, you know, we're rolling the dice and everything like that, but my grandma, had been drinking a Negroni. And for anyone who doesn't know, a Negroni is a gin-based drink. Um, and so she's drinking this Negroni at at this uh, board game table. And as soon as she – like she – it's one of those things like where you taste a drink and then you realize you like it and you try to play it cool, but you're like downing it. <laughs> That's like, me I with everything in my life. <laughs> I turn back around and she has claimed her hatchet. She has downed her Negroni completely. Oh my um, gosh. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like yeah. grandma, this is like, wow, you're stepping out. <laughs> um, so she finishes her, her Negroni and she starts going around the table and she's like – singing campfire songs and not like C-A-M-P-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G songs. Um, but like, I don't know, old school campfire songs, like 
Kumbaya, but not that one. I don't, I don't even know what, like, I just knew these are like super folksy sort of like call and response songs. And so she's like going around and clapping and then she starts bopping people on the back to the beat. So it's like, <laughs> like clap, slap, 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 clap, oh slap, slap, slap. And I mean, she's not just standing up. She's like been like her knees are bent. She's like getting into it. Her whole body is going into these <laughs> claps. Just like really I wish everyone could it. see you right now. Like I can see you. It's really good. Anyway, go ahead. I have acting it out. Yeah. I mean, it is incredible. So I remember in the dream sort of being like, wow, she's letting loose a little bit. This is really exciting. Um, and loving it even though she was going around and hurting everybody by slapping them on the back so that was my dream and i need to know what it means okay well okay first of all i don't know if this is like a universal thing with everyone um but in in my experience grandmothers are notorious for like really severe back padding um I have- how you doing sonny really my grandma, my great grandma, who is a wonderful person, uh, her name is coincidentally, her name is Pat, um, <laughs> which I sometimes think that that's why her, she's named that because sometimes she, it feels like she's almost knocking me unconscious when she like hugs me and pats me on the back. I mean, I think it's like she's trying to like forcibly like press her love into you yeah (laughs) so (laughs) just first impressions it reminded me of that um but you said okay so she's normally very reserved right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and so she's not usually walking around patting people on the back she's not like you know downing negronis and and in fact um my family like that side of my family super hands off about everything um okay I'm the one that comes in and like, and you know, you shouldn't do this whenever it comes to complete strangers or friends yes, no. or anything like that. But, uh, with my family members, like with my grandma, I hug her. Like she's not going to be around forever. I want to give her a hug. And yeah. she, she like does hug. She just is not the person to initiate it. To initiate and hug. yeah. Okay. And so like all that whole side, like my great grandparents, they'll sort of like sit there like a brick while you hug them because they're like, what's happening? <laughs> well, first of all, I got to say she must be like up to her eyeballs and padding energy if the grandmother theory is anything to go on. So maybe she just needs a Negroni to unlock it and unleash wait, 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 it. Wait, wait, hold on. Are, are you telling me that like grandparents have a pat battery inside of them that they have to like drain i don't know i think maybe well it's like a it builds up over time so less like a battery and more like a i don't know like Like a a generator (laughs) like like the hoover dam like the 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 hoover pat dam yeah she needs to utilize that padding energy but no uh on a surface level i would say I'm not trying to give your grandmother advice. I think that she should live however this she would like dream, to live. This is my dream, Tori, not, not but, advice from my grandma. Uh, yeah. Maybe she needs, maybe she just needs a Negroni and she can like unleash all those pats. But on a more serious note, <laughs> um, I think that you personally over time, uh, have learned to relax a little bit, right? Like, uh, cause from what you've told me, you used to be a very reserved oh, child, yeah. very, very anxious. I um, was old man Micah as a kid, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and I was the I was the same way. I think that's part of why we get along so beautifully. But um, I think that more recently, uh, within the last handful of years, five or six years maybe, you've started to let yourself relax a little bit um, and let yourself 
feel the things you feel without policing them so harshly. Uh, not to say that that's a negative thing, but I think you have found solace in it. And you've been like, man, I really needed to let this out. Um, and I think that this, it's manifesting in this dream as uh, your grandmother because maybe it's not just a hope specifically for her i don't know if you feel that every once in a while for her she is the symbol of my of the most reserved parts of me she is right. the person that as a kid i sort of based myself on and my actions and my and the person that i went to when i you know wanted to i mean she was she was like my my like a like a scholar like a mentor yeah. in sort of you know your actions as a person for me very very all about that self-control and stuff like that mm -hmm. which is really respectable because uh, you know <laughs> um i i'm not that great at that but um i think maybe this is just your desire for everyone around you especially those who you feel could maybe benefit from a little bit of relaxation uh i think you just want everybody to get their their negroni right <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we got the tiny hatchet and the Negroni. Yeah, everybody grab your tiny hatchet and your Negroni tonight. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you want everyone to be able to let loose a little bit sometimes and feel that joy that you felt in just experiencing things just openly and like kicking back a little bit and not being so constantly concerned with how – Am I performing this? Am I supposed to be doing it like this? Am I doing this right? And constantly huh. policing themselves. And so I think that maybe this is sort of your way of processing like, man, I really wish everybody could have these moments because they've been hugely beneficial to me. Wow. I, I want to I, – I just have to like double down on that because I think that you're dead on. One of the things that um, I've thought about a lot is is – or one of the things that like affects me in real life is um, for some reason it's specific to this. And I think it's because, again, as a kid, like I was very afraid to dance to ever – as a little kid, I was dancing all over the place. But like once I started to know shame, so to speak, <laughs> right. when you start to know shame. I totally um, get it. Then I, you know, wouldn't do that at all. And, um, in later life, in, you know, as an adult, like it is one of my favorite activities to just yes. go out with friends and just oh, dance and have so much fun. You know that I know. <laughs> yes. And so that, like, I have seen, you know, online, I've seen articles and things like that about people who, uh, were dancing and then people shamed them for dancing and they felt really bad about themselves. And like that tears me up so much. Yeah. And I had like a situation like that in real life with a friend of mine who was being made fun of and like that angered me, you know, like so the, the idea and it's not dancing. It's this aspect of like not caring how you look and feeling free to just express yourself and have fun and be free without the consequences of, of, of society or anything like that getting in the way. And I think that, yeah, I think that you're right. Like this, this sort of is, it's, it's a metaphor for that bigger thing. Uh, especially the fact yeah. that she was <laughs> around the table dancing and singing. <laughs> really getting it. I love it. <laughs> okay. And I would, I just want to suggest that everybody grab their Negroni and their tiny hatchet and, uh, send us their dreams, right? <laughs> Take Chase this moment, be free, you know, own that burlap <laughs> tuxedo <laughs> and uh, share 
some cool stuff with us so that maybe uh, we can help you realize something that you may not have realized before, uh, just like we did just now. Um, if you want to send your dreams to dreams at lucid.show. I know we keep saying it, but I'm really we'll stoked for these it. dreams. So uh, I'm also going to set up – there'll be a, a link at the top uh, of our site, which of course is just lucid.show, uh, to a contact form. So you go to lucid.show and you click on dreams. Oh, who knew? And then that will so take you easy. to a contact form where that will go to the same place. So if you for, if you happen to forget the uh, email or something like that, just head over to uh, lucid.show and send your dream. You can also send us a direct message on Twitter. It's at lucid underscore podcast. And of course, give us a follow. And last but not least, if you're listening to us in Apple Podcasts or any of the other sort of podcast platforms, be sure to give us a rating or a review. Um, you know, you don't have to write out a bunch of text. You can just hit those stars. We'd love if you hit five, um, and <laughs> that will uh, help us out and get in front of uh, some more audiences so you can hear more dreams from other listeners and uh, hear us try and fail, I'm sure, at interpreting them. Uh, but we'll have a lot of fun along the way, I think. And you'll also learn a lot about sleep and dreams, and so will we, Tori. Yeah, and I love it. I love learning everything that I've learned for this episode, and I can't wait until the next one. Yes! Uh, so until then, I guess it's time to head off to Big Dream City. Yep, I'm going there right after this. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night. Chase your tiny hatchet, <laughs> put your burlap tux on, eat some corn and hug a doll in your cemetery of dreams. Okay, we have that was the best thing that I've ever heard. We're switching the theme song. I've decided that's it. That's the one. We've done it.